0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Today we continue our series, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion, with a message titled, Remaining Faithful. So let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 24, verses 42 to 51, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: I love the phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. I mean, that's to say, remaining faithful for a lifetime. See, it's possible to be faithful for a season, or it's possible to be faithful in fits and starts and sometimes on, sometimes off. I mean, many people do that in their own strength without relying on the power of the Lord. But faithful to Christ over the course of a lifetime, that can only be done in the power of the Spirit. I don't mean to denigrate those who come to Christ later in life and then in the remaining years they have left, give themselves totally to the Lord. I have a very fond memory of a you know, very elderly woman who came to Christ in her late 80s. Her health had greatly deteriorated. She was confined to a wheelchair. Uh, we practiced baptism by immersion, but she was unable to be immersed because of her physical conditions. So she asked for a special dispensation. Could you baptize me? Uh, but she said please don't let me go into eternity as an unbaptized woman and we did we we baptized her by pouring and please don't write letters on modes of baptism you know, i think it would have been a sin to withhold baptism from this saint for whom christ had died but i make mention of that so that i don't give the impression that when i speak about faithfulness for a lifetime I'm in any way denigrating the loveliness of those who came to Christ in their later years, or for that matter, those who came to Christ on their deathbeds. The Bible itself speaks of the thief on the cross, and to the skeptic, his conversion looks oh so convenient, but to the person who understands the kindness of God, the conversion of the thief reminds us of the abundance, the overflowing grace of God. Again, I'm thankful for late-stage conversion. But it is a more remarkable statement to say that there are those who came to Christ in in the childhood or in their youth who were gripped by grace and who continued in passionate faithfulness to Christ all the way through until death. I don't mean to insinuate they didn't sin, they did. Furthermore, among them, there were times when their love for Christ cooled for a season, but in mercy the Holy Spirit continued to renew them so that they were faithful unto death. They persevered. They demonstrated by their lives that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, we've been studying Matthew chapter 24, which is a passage often called the Olivet Discourse, because this teaching of Jesus took place while Jesus and his disciples were sitting on the Mount of Olives looking out across that steep ravine over to the other side, gazing at the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus has been answering the question, what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And now he comes to the end of his teaching on this subject, and he's he's going to make application. And that brings me to some thoughts of my own. The more we concentrate on the second coming of Jesus, that is, if we do it correctly, it will teach us not to set dates, or to come up with fanciful theories about how close we now are to the return of the Lord, but rather, it will teach us to be faithful for a lifetime. So let's read as Jesus concludes Matthew 24. I'm reading verses 42 to 44. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So you're going to notice there's a parable here that highlights the idea of watchfulness. When we go to the next chapter, that is chapter 25, we're going to find that Jesus extends the teaching. All in all, between the end of chapter 24, all the way to the next chapter, we'll see that Jesus gives a series of five parables meant to help us apply the teaching of the second coming to our lives. This here is the end of chapter 24, and the first of these parables, it's a parable of the master of a large estate who must secure that estate from thieves. And the next parable that we'll also consider today is the parable of the servant who's charged with keeping his master's estate. The third to the fifth parables, they're found in chapter 25. So in order to keep track, we take note that there is a third, a parable of the 10 virgins who go to meet the bridegroom. And then fourth, there's a parable of the talents that is the master going on a journey and assigning each of his servants with a different part of his master's estate. And then lastly, well, you might take issue with whether it's a parable or not, but it's a parable of a shepherd who as a part of his work separates out the sheep from the goats. Now, each of those final parables are about faithfulness faithfulness that carries on, even when it's tempting to give up on faithfulness. Remember, Jesus has already taught that during the time between his first and second coming, that there would be many who would fall away. And then he adds the words, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And so now that we've completed the bulk of his theological teaching about what to expect, that is, between his ascension into heaven and the end of the age, he returns to this theme. Only the one who endures to the end will be saved. But how are we to endure, given that we don't know how long it will be until Jesus returns? And if his second coming, well, is still thousands of years away, what then? Indeed, from the perspective of his disciples, the ones who originally heard this teaching, you know, this is exactly true. Even though they thought they were at the very verge of the second coming, in fact, they were at least 2,000 years away. And you have to think, that they could not have imagined such a thing. And yet that's exactly what they were facing, even though they didn't know it. Generation after generation would need to carry on the faith. Faithfulness would not just be required for a few years, but for generations. Yeah, the task of world evangelization would need to be the focus of the church, but so also would need to be passing the faith to our children, to our grandchildren. For if we take new territory, but in the process are losing the territory that we've once gained, well, we're actually getting nowhere. We need not only to advance the faith, we need also to preserve the faith where it has taken root. And so in the light of the faithfulness that is required, Jesus tells a series of parables. And as I've said, we'll consider two of them today. The one we've already read is a parable that's meant to teach us that regardless of how long or short is the coming of the Lord, we should train ourselves always to live in the light of expectancy, living in expectancy for a lifetime. So let's consider the parable. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he'd have been ready for him. But of course, the master doesn't know. And so what's the parable trying to teach us? Well, two things, I think. First of all, look again at the first part of verse 42. It says, therefore, stay awake. So, you know, we need to ask, and I think it's an obvious question. You know, the thief's coming, but we don't know when. So how long do we need to stay awake? And Is it really possible, you know, to stay awake that long? So as we've seen, it's now been generations. And and most importantly of all, you know, what in fact was Jesus meaning when he said, stay awake? Did he mean that we should at all times be acting as if, He was coming back today and then repeating that exercise tomorrow. I mean, is it really possible to sustain that kind of an intensity? Well, I think not. I think staying awake refers to at least two things. The first is that we must be about the master's business. You know, since Jesus has already told us, you know, back in verse 14, that this gospel must be preached to all nations or all ethnic groups, and then the end will come, well, it seems that staying awake must have something to do with being engaged in the work of missions and evangelism. So what does that look like? Well, I think on a global level, every local church must give herself to both encouraging missions, raising up missionaries, giving their members a mission mindset, and calling people to support missions in any number of ways. But it also means that we're to support the ongoing proclamation of the gospel financially. And furthermore, we ought to learn how to share our faith wherever the opportunity arises. Be awake. Be always active in those activities that your master has called you to do. But staying away can also mean that we continue to live in an attitude of hope. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So 1 Peter then goes on to say, keep loving one another, continue to show hospitality, use your spiritual gifts, continue to glorify Jesus in everything. I mean, all those are attitudes of hopefulness. We don't give in to the world's attitudes. Rather, we continue to foster the attitudes of faith, knowing that the present order of things will pass away, but the values of the kingdom are eternal. That's what hope looks like. That's what it means to stay awake. We're about the master's business. We continue to live with the values of the kingdom. Well, the second thing we see Jesus teaching in this parable has to do with the last half of verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. That is, the idea that the servant didn't know when the thief was coming tells us, we really don't know when our Lord is returning. And so, let me ask you, do you think it will be a while? Well, you need to change your view, you you don't know. You know, do you think that we're at the very end of the age? Well, you need to change your view. You really don't know when your Lord is returning.
0: With the Christmas season upon us, it's hard not to reflect on the most recent Israel experience hosted by Back to the Bible Canada earlier this year. Visiting many of the New Testament locations where Jesus himself walked makes the celebration of our Savior's arrival even more impactful. Well, I've got some good news. Back to the Bible Canada will be hosting another tour of the Holy Land on April 16th to the 24th, 2023, with an optional extension to Jordan, April 24th to the 29th. With Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh Against Phil Calloway, musical guest Amanda Stott, and the ministry leadership team, you're guaranteed to have a pilgrim experience that transforms your understanding of the Word and your journey of faith. If you're interested in joining us, reserve your spot today. Numbers are limited to ensure the most intimate of experiences. So visit backtothebible.ca or call us today at 1-800-663-2425.
1: Jesus now gives a second parable about faithfulness for a lifetime. So let's read Matthew 24, 45 to 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, the image in the second parable now shifts from the image, you know, of a master of a house to a household servant who's been given considerable responsibilities. You know, we don't need a great deal of imagination to see ourselves in that scenario. You know, for indeed all of us have been given assignments in varying degrees from the master of the house. The house is not ours. The house belongs to the master. We're the servants. So Jesus begins this parable with a question. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? And that's an excellent question. Given that the master is coming back, given that he will evaluate the servant's work, and given he will reward each servant according to his or her faithfulness, the question of who is the faithful and wise servant, well, that question is paramount. Which servant exhibits the wisest dealings? Which servant is most faithful to the desires of the master? See, in this parable, as in others, the master's gone away. You know, in the same fashion, Jesus is planning to physically leave his disciples. And you might remember, John records it in John 16, verse 6, when Jesus told the twelve he's going away and he says, sorrow has filled your heart. And yet Jesus promises that he will send the Holy Spirit who's going to empower them in the mission he has given them. They're not to continue on in sorrow. But here in Matthew 24, the issue is not that the Holy Spirit will come. The issue here is the question that Jesus has asked. What does the faithful servant look like? So very well. We're going to see that Jesus explains this by way of contrast. You know, first he's going to give us a picture of a faithful servant, then an unfaithful one. Verses 45 and 46 again. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So in this case, the servant in question is the one who is in charge of all the welfare of all the other servants. In essence, this servant has been given a leadership role. Now, this makes sense because Jesus is giving this parable to his disciples who will be given the role of apostles or leaders of the church. The giving of food at the proper time, no doubt, refers to preaching, teaching, discipling, baptizing, ensuring that the church is equipped to live as Christ wants them to live, and to carry out the mission that Christ has given them. Well, you might think ahead to John chapter 21. You know, Peter's just denied Jesus, and so in order to reinstate Peter, Jesus and Peter go for a walk on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's not far from Capernaum. And you'll remember that three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter responds, he does. But the third time, Peter's deeply distressed because Jesus keeps asking the same question. No doubt he's burdened by the guilt of having denied his Lord. And so in some fashion, those repeated questions demonstrate that his love is you know, less than desired. But Peter's answering truthfully as much as he's able, in spite of his weakness and failure, yeah, he does love Jesus. And after each response, Jesus simply says to Peter, feed my lambs, then tend my sheep, and finally, feed my sheep. That is to say, you will demonstrate your love for me as you care for the church that I have entrusted to you until I return. And that's the faithful apostle. He keeps on doing what Christ has commanded him to do. In the very beginning, you might remember, And here I'm thinking about an incident in Acts chapter 6. The church has begun, but immediately there's a problem, feeding of the widows. And here I don't mean spiritually feeding them, but in the daily distribution of food of those who didn't have enough. The church, at that point in time, wanted the apostles to take care of that administrative matter and make sure that it was solved. And you might also remember how the apostles responded. We must give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, they say. And so the church was given the responsibility to find men filled with the Holy Spirit with the ability or the wisdom to know how to handle this important responsibility. But the apostles had to remember what their assignment was. That is, they had to keep their eye on the ball, or to put it another way, they had to remember the unique assignment that Jesus had entrusted to them. And so this parable in which Jesus is speaking to the twelve, it's very specific The faithful servant is when I return, I'm going to find him feeding the rest of the servants of God their spiritual food. That's faithful, that's wise. And by extension, or as a point of application to us, we might think, you know, what is the unique assignment that Christ has personally given me? So let me speak personally. You know, if you know me personally, you'd soon become aware that in the course of my ministry, there were things I never attended to, I never could figure out computers well. I was not the best administrator. I, I, however, cared deeply about the spiritual well-being of the flock that God had entrusted to me, and I learned how to handle the Word of God so that people would learn to rely on Scripture and not themselves. That was my assignment from God. Now, your gifts, your unique calling, they might be different from mine. You know, I've known people who've been extraordinary evangelists. I've known people who seem so attuned to the needs of others, who can minister mercy to them in appropriate times. I mean, I look at it and I'm astonished at what they do. I mean, you think of people who are good with kids or with adolescents and spend their ministry there. I mean, think of people who are motivated by the needs of the poor. They know what God has called them to do and the application point is clear. If you wanna know a person who's wise and faithful, It's the servant who's still doing what Christ assigned to that person, either until death or when Christ returns again. You know, I once had a seminary professor who loved military imageries. I'll never forget that one image he told us. He said, young people, Jesus is your commander-in-chief, and if the commander-in-chief tells you in the midst of the battle, hold that hill, then when he comes to check on you, he'll either find you holding that hill or dead on top of it. And that's the point, is it not? Who's the wise and faithful servant? And Jesus says, blessed is that servant whose master finds him so doing. And then from verse 47, you'll find a promise attached to the command. The master will set him over all his possessions. And that promise is attached to the later teaching of ruling and reigning with Christ. It's also connected to the promise of our Lord. Luke 19 verse 17, and he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. So the promise is this. The reward in heaven is connected to faithfulness now. If you can be trusted in your assignment now, you can be trusted with true riches in heaven. And that's the basic description of the faithful and wise servant. But Jesus is more than aware that simply giving that description without contrasting it with the opposite, well, that might not yet give the full and complete picture. Notice how he describes the unfaithful servant. And the first thing is his attitude. He says, my master is delayed. That is, he's not watchful. He doesn't live in expectation. Rather, he comes to the conclusion that all things are carrying on as before, and there's no reason to be thinking about the return of the master. And this is where the real trouble begins. His, his mindset determines what's going to happen. You know, I ride a motorcycle, and one of the very basic lessons That any good motorcyclist knows is that when you enter into a bend in the road, fix your eyes on the outcome, that is, on the end of the curve, and you're going to go there. In the same way, to the servant of Jesus, fix your mind in expectation of our Lord's return, and your actions will follow accordingly. Notice the second attribute of the unfaithful servant. He begins to beat his fellow servants. Remember, this is a servant entrusted with leadership. He abuses others. He treats them for his own ends. He doesn't take care of them. The third attitude he has is that he eats and drinks with drunkards. His moral life is no longer in check. I mean, you think, for instance, of Christian leaders who have been caught in horrible sins or who abuse their authority for their own ends. And then the master returns. He rewards the faithful, and to the one who has become unfaithful, he assigns that one to the place of the unrighteous a place of eternal torment. How many people aren't aware of this? Well, let me tell you, many pastors, many pastors have gone to hell. And with that in mind, we come back to the commitment that we all need to make. I don't know when the Lord will return, but given that it's true that he will return, I am expected to live faithfully and to be occupied in my master's business until he comes for me. He will find
0: me so doing when he returns. Thanks for your message, Sean. You know, I think one of the critical points you made is that your place in heaven is not based on position or status, lest anyone get confused, it's based upon faithfulness.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of us are, you know, we we, we complain before the Lord. You know, Lord, why did you, you know, give me this status in this life? And and why did you put me in this circumstance? Or, you know, I've got so many hardships and other people don't seem to, you know, why why this? And the question is not, you know, to complain about God, but just to simply say, accept where Christ has put you, be faithful to do his will in the circumstances in which you are found. And all that is required of us is that we be faithful in the place where Christ has put us. So let's just take that to heart and let's
0: therefore surrender to the master's plan in our lives. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Beginning of Jesus' Passion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada Bible Teaching You Can Trust. This year, God has blessed the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada with both the increased opportunity and provision to teach the Bible. It's undeniable that his helping hand has been at work as we reflect on everything he has allowed Back to the Bible Canada to accomplish on his behalf. Now we look forward to all he has in store for 2023. This calendar year end, Back to the Bible Canada, has a goal to raise $519,000 by December 31st. This will help position the ministry to carry out all the plans God has crafted for his glory. Now each of us has the privilege to participate in sharing the gospel through the trustworthy teaching of His Word. Your partnership plays a crucial role in ensuring the ongoing ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, and we are beyond grateful for it. To offer a gift toward our year-end goal, just call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.